We're in Proverbs chapter 16, and if you are in the hymn of uh, the Pew Bible, you'll find it on page 539. Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 4. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this side of heaven, we um, contend with things like making plans, resolutions. We have these ideas, Lord. We long for things, we hope for things, but, but all these are um, in concert with your great purposes. And so we come before you, and we bow, and we know that you are great, and we see our need for grace, and that you supply so abundantly, that through Christ you have covered us, you have caused us to stand before you, you've filled us with life, and life abundant and love, and great good things, Lord. And so we know that your purposes are best. And we don't understand it all. We pray that you would quicken our uh, ears to hear, make our um, thoughts turn to you, help us to hear with the spirit of uh, reflecting Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would honor you, that we'd be different because of who you are. We thank you for this time. We look forward to your word. We lift up Brant as he preaches now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we find ourselves this New Year's morning in the book of Proverbs, and I think it's a helpful time to be able to reflect on the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God, as we will see In our passage this morning, the book of Proverbs typically is described and classified as wisdom literature, and it's the collection of sayings or concise sayings, Proverbs, primarily of King Solomon, son of King David, King of Israel, as we see in chapter 1, verse 1. Though we read from Proverbs 16, 1 through 4, the focus of our time this morning will be in Proverbs 21, 1. So go with me there. Turn to your right. Proverbs 21.1. So this is King Solomon, king of Israel, the appointed king of God, speaking here. And he says this. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And my argument from the passage this morning is this. Our sovereign God exercises his power and orchestrates all things for his utmost glory and our greatest Good. So let's go ahead and look at our passage and walk through that together. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. 
He turns it wherever he will. So first we should ask ourselves, what kind of king is this? Well, we know from the outset of chapter 1 and chapter 10 of the book of Proverbs and on that these are the sayings of King Solomon, son of King David, and that we are in the beginning time of Israel's monarchy, the, the golden age of the people of God. King David has passed away and his son Solomon now is reigning and the Lord has blessed him with immense wisdom and understanding. So knowing that the author is King Solomon and that the original audience or the people of Israel, it's appropriate to assume that king here refers specifically to the Davidic king, king of Israel. Further, we see that this king's heart, that is the king's will, the very being of this king, is as a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. So that means that the king of Israel, his authority is subjected to and underneath the authority and power of the sovereign God of Israel. And this king's heart can be directed in any way that the Lord desires. And the Lord can choose to make cuts in that stream or dam certain areas, enlarge those. So I think it's important for us to remember this morning that our God, the one who controls the hearts of kings, is perfectly and totally good. And that he is in the heavens as Psalm 115 says, and that he does whatever he pleases. And that is a good time right now to take this and meditate upon the goodness of God and that he does whatever he pleases and how thankful we should be that he is not an evil God who does whatever he pleases, but that he is good. And not only that, but knowing that all of our efforts, think of parents with children and parents with older children and all the trials, that none of this is in vain, that the salvation of your children is not bound up in your hands, knowing that the hands that hold the heart of the king also hold the heart of your children. And we are just called to be faithful and obedient. We're called to preach the gospel and pray for them. Though this proverb is speaking originally of the Davidic king, as we've seen, we can also make application to our time today, which would be that the ruler, the utmost earthly authority, is subject to and below the authority of the Lord. We see that's true in Israel's time and our time today. So the president of the United States, the constitution, dictators, monarchies, republics, democracies, all forms of government, all angels, principalities, heights, powers, everything is under and subjected to the sovereignty and footstool of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see in God's word that there are two kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of King Jesus. The kingdom of King Jesus supersedes and reigns above the kingdom of this world. However, as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who were once dead in our sins, who've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, who are now ambassadors for Christ, pleading with men to be reconciled to God, we are still living in this sinful and fallen world. And it begs the question, how are we to live? In fact, 1 Peter 2 calls us sojourners and exiles and aliens in this land. And we have a prescription here from the Lord, thankfully, of how we are supposed to live in light under the authority of Christ in a fallen world. The Spirit has given us wisdom and guidance for living in this world. And to put it simply, we can summarize it this way, that 
we see that we are to submit to the governing authorities and we are to pray. So I invite you to look later this evening at the book of Romans, chapter 13, 1 Timothy 2, to learn how Christians are to live in light of the lordship of Christ in this world. But for our time this morning, we'll look at one specific passage. Go ahead and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter, writing to the elect exiles, tells us to, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or king as supreme, <coughs> or to governors as sent by him, that is the Lord, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And we have verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So we are called to submit for the sake of the Lord to the governing authorities of our day because they are established by him for our protection and our good. But Peter makes a further point, namely that is a, in verse 19, that it's a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly at the hands of this authority. So why is this a gracious thing to be able to suffer at the hands of authority? Well, Peter says because we get the privilege of imitating Christ. Verse 20 But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So this is God's will for us, our sanctification and conformity to the image of Christ. And what an opportunity, Peter is saying, that we get to suffer unjustly just like our Lord and Savior did. And be molded into his image. And in the eyes of the world that's simply crazy. And why and why would you be rejoicing to suffer and want to suffer? Well, we have more examples of this in Acts 5. tells us that Peter and the apostles, after preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, were brought into the council of the high priest and they were beaten. And it tells us this. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 34, writing to a persecuted church, reminds them that you joyfully accept the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So how could we possibly subject ourselves to the sinful and perfect ruling authorities today and rejoice in suffering under them like the apostles? Well, by two reasons. One, The Lord in his perfect wisdom has ordained that we submit to them because he has instituted them for our good and for his purposes of conforming us to the image of his son. And two, because our king is the supreme king and our home is not this home. We have, as the author of Hebrews says, a better possession and an abiding one, namely a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That is the kingdom of the beloved son of God. Well, it begs the question then, who is this king? 
and it's interesting in God's sovereignty that we've been celebrating this Christmas season, the incarnation of the Son of God. And it's important to recognize the immense significance of this event. So our sovereign God orchestrated the taking on of flesh of the Word of God, of His very Son, and sent Him in to this world. One who's in the lineage of David, the final and perfect and true king that only King Solomon could even point to. And he did not come to wield his scepter and to crush his enemies, but he came and disrobed his glory and his authority, and he spread his hands out and allowed his creation to nail him to a tree to be hung And his robes of righteousness removed from him. And the sins of his people, our sins were placed upon his shoulders. And as he hung on that tree, he bore the wrath that we deserve for our sins. But he didn't remain on that tree. As the wrath was poured out and he died, he rose again. And now he is robed in majesty and splendor and power He calls men everywhere to repent and turn from their sins, to put down their rebellion, to come to him for eternal life through faith alone in him. He is the king of glory and he is reigning now. And that is his promise of eternal life to everyone this morning. He is, who is this king? His preeminence, he is the son of God. He's before all things. And by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Our sovereign God exercises his power and orchestrates all things for his utmost glory and our greatest good. He ordained the events of the cross, the greatest evil ever committed by men, so that he may receive the greatest glory in the redemption transformation, and adoption of wretched sinners like us. And for the purpose of lavishing his grace and love upon us for all of eternity. So the Father was motivated in love and sending his Son for us. Well, to think of another event, think about think back to how the Israelites must have groaned under the oppression of Pharaoh and how they suffered greatly under his oppression Yet this appointment of Pharaoh was all according to the plan of God for his glory. Turn with me to the book of Romans. Book of Romans chapter 9, verse 15. Paul is writing, saying, For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Paul's quoting the book of Exodus. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Paul goes on to say in verse 19, speaking to his audience, that you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? 
Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So Paul is saying that the Lord is infinitely wise, <clears throat> that he is perfectly good, and that everything he does is for his glory, to magnify and display his name because he alone is worthy of all praise and adoration. And Paul, overcome in worship and meditation of the Lord, later concludes this section in chapter 11, verse 33, with these words, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Our passage this morning The heart of the king is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So the rise and fall of Pharaoh ordained by God for his own glory. The power of the Lord is magnified in the overthrow of Pharaoh's kingdom and the exodus of the people of Israel. The power and justice of the Lord is magnified in the vindication of his righteousness and the condemnation of the wicked. And the power and the love of God is magnified in his salvation of wretched sinners like us. And beloved, we are no better than Pharaoh. And we rightly deserve the condemnation that he received. And if you are here this morning, a believer in Jesus Christ, know that God did not choose you Because you dotted every I and crossed every T. In fact, the opposite is true. God's word in Ephesians 2 says this, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And we were enemies of God and dead to him. But is precisely because of our sin, because of our transgression, that God's grace shines even more gloriously. Listen to verse 9 of Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Believer, if you are here this morning and you're trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone, looking to Jesus alone, rejoice 
You are his and you are his inheritance. The Lord in his sovereignty took out your heart of stone, crushed his son for you, gave you a heart of flesh, adopted you, raised you with his son, seated you with him so that he may lavish upon you for all eternity the riches of his grace and kindness towards you in his son. And he did this for you. And he loves you. Our sovereign God exercises his power and orchestrates all things for his utmost glory and our greatest good. So take heart this morning. Jesus, the supreme king, is reigning and nothing will conquer him. In the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verse 13, we are given the vision from John of all the kings of the world amassing together to come against and to destroy the Lamb. But we are told that the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. And who are those with Him? That is us. We are called and we are chosen by Him. And Romans 8 tells us also that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And it asks this question. He, that is the Father who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Our king is sovereign and he is reigning. And you, beloved, are seated and reigning with him. All the riches and glories of Christ are yours. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing No suffering, no trial in this life can ever separate you from the love of God. This light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory as we look upon things that are eternal, not the things that are seen. We have this treasure in us, the gospel, and we are being transformed day by day as we gaze upon the glories of Christ. And we know that the present sufferings of this world aren't worth comparing to and with the glories that await us, Christ Jesus. So as we enter in this new year and meditate upon Christ, let us take heart knowing that our God is sovereign, that he orchestrates all things for his glory and for our good, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Let's go ahead and pray together. Our gracious Father, our exceeding joy, you have blessed us richly in Christ, in your gospel. You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You have transferred us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, the King of glory who reigns today, the one for whom the ancient doors and gates swing wide open, the King of glory. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Nothing can thwart 
his plan. So Father, we are so thankful. I pray for us this year and this morning that we would have the mind of Christ. Meditating upon him who's seated in heaven at the right hand of God. That we would take our example from him. The king of glory emptied himself and did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But taking the form of a servant, emptied himself and humbled himself to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And for the joy set before him, he endured it, despising its shame. I pray that we would be a people living in this time, following your commands, submitting faithfully in reverence to our authorities, knowing that our king is Jesus, knowing that we have a better and abiding possession, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And Father, we take heart knowing that the king's heart, this world, everything is in your hands and you orchestrate all things for your glory and for our greatest good. So Father, please be with us this morning as we close in response and singing and meditating upon your truth. It's in his name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.